All right, to kick off the sermon, uh, we're going to get Terry up. Terry's going to share a little testimony because this is a man that embodies everything I just prayed. He's a, he's a godly man, and, uh, and he's the first ever member of Bay Vineyard Church, uh, and so he is a living legend. And so, yeah, come on, church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My fear is that you'll walk out on me, and I won't know. <laughs> Oh, bless you guys. Kia ora. Um, just an incident, which is, I guess, is a, a strange incident in the life of an old blind guy. My, um, my day starts like a lot of you, but probably not as early as some of you. It's, um, and since our missional course, I changed the way I do things a little bit. And one of those was a prayer that I pray every day now. And that I just stole it out of Acts chapter 4. And the prayer is, enable me, your servant, oh God, to... Speak your words with great boldness and you stretch out your hands to bring healing. Father, <laughs> it's a dangerous prayer. <laughs> so one day I was out walking after my morning routines and um, um, I live in Maple South, out to Mariwa Shops by the lights. Push the button. I was crossing the lights just past the medium, about two or three paces, and a car came from behind me and drove right round in front of me. So close, in fact, that it actually ran over the toes of my left foot. And I was standing in the middle of the road going, Lord, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and I'm thinking, but I'm standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> so I, I hobbled off like, <laughs> like you're supposed to if you've got a sore foot, I guess. And I'm getting, I got across the little island on the other road, and I'm thinking, this is not hurting yet, but it's going <laughs> to and then I crossed a little island and I got up towards the bus stop there and um, a lady came up to me and she said, oh, hi, my name's Melinda, I'm a nurse, are you okay? And I said, she just ran over my toes on my left foot, but it actually doesn't hurt. And she said, I will stand at the bus stop here and I'll have a look. So I took my shoe and my sock off and started doing boot camp on my toes. It was kind of... Um, and nothing hurt, no bruising, no nothing. My toes were absolutely Okay. In the meantime, another lady came up. Her name was Donna, and she was stressed, deeply, deeply stressed. She said, I'm sorry, I was driving that car. Can I take you to the doctor? Can I call the police? And she was just absolutely stressed out. And um, so Melinda said, I don't know if you seem to be okay, but if it hurts later, go to the doctor. So I put my shoes and socks on. I stood up, and Donna is still really, really stressed out. So... I just said to Donna, Father, we invite your spirit of peace to come upon Donna right now. And I did my very best impersonation of looking her in the eyes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's okay, Donna, you are forgiven. She said, oh, that's okay then. But I still want to ring you later and see if you're okay. <laughs> awesome, amazing. Isn't that an amazing story? That was just last, was it last Tuesday, Terry? Tuesday week, sorry? Yeah. Um, I think that's incredible. I love that on a whole lot of levels. And it really, uh, when I heard that story, I was like, this speaks exactly to what we're trying to build here within our church. And that's like, there's so much in there that's like the Jesus way. So like something happens to you, you know, it's a miraculous thing in terms of his feet, his toes not being munched. Like that's hallelujah. A little angel lifted up the uh, wheel there. Saying, I don't know what went on, but hallelujah. Um, and, and this guy walks in faith and that sort of respect, which is great. Um, but I love like, 
like the intuitive response is to forgive. Like that's, that doesn't just happen. That's years of like meditating on the way of Jesus because so often we have to choose to forgive, but for Terry, there was an intuitive response to forgive and I'm not there yet. <laughs> Some runs over my toe, especially as if I'm blind. I'm like, I'm losing my lollies, man. I'm like, are you serious? It's got to be one of the worst things you could do, you muppet, you know? And it's like, I, I felt angry on his behalf when I heard the story. Like, we'll give him a minute. It's like, you did what? You just forgave them. And it's like, that's the counterculture of the kingdom of God. And then the next level thing of let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for Donna right now that your peace would just come into her heart and mind. Like, that's... Like, that's Jimmy Jesus right there. You know, like that's like, but, here's, but I love it. Here's an ordinary guy who's got some limitations because of his sight and everything, who's so just been orientated around the way of Jesus for so long that he can do something that smells like the Bible to me in terms of like, I, that's the Jesus stuff right there. That's what it looks like. And this is what we're trying to speak to as we talk about the things of the Holy Spirit. And we're doing it in a context where most of us are as stressed and under the pump and it's so full on in our world right now than it's ever been, right? It's like so much stuff going on. And normally I think, in my mind anyway, it's been like, oh, life's got to be pretty chilled and then the Holy Spirit can use me. Or I need to be in a really good place and then the Holy Spirit can use me. And it's like actually when you open the book, it's like, you know what? It turns out it's the opposite. (laughs) It's normally under stress and for least likelies and you know God's power is made perfect and not in strength but in weakness and on we go and so I want to look at a story uh, in, in the gospels because it's really important that we look at the life of Jesus we understand that Jesus did not do all the stuff he did out of his own power but he relied on the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we have access to that same Holy Spirit to that same power Philippians 2 is very clear. He shed his glory. He shed all that stuff. And then he lived a life dependent on the Spirit of God and being led by his heavenly Father. Just like you, he modeled a life that me and you can live. Uh, and so in Matthew 14, there's a really interesting story. But the context is, is really helpful. The context is that John the Baptist at the beginning of, of Matthew 14 gets executed. This is Jesus' cousin and one of his close friends. Like, you know what it's like when you get king hit with the news that someone you love has died. Like, Jesus was fully human, friends. He felt that king hit, like, ooh. And, you, and like, like, you know, volatile political setup there, but, it, but still a shock for Jesus. And it really was because of John's allegiance to Jesus. So there's a lot going on for Jesus emotionally. He goes away to deeply grieve, and the crowds follow him. Jesus gets off the boat because he wisely, he's wanting to spend some time to process his emotions. He sees the crowds and has compassion. That's that's insane. There are times where God will give us the grace to love and serve even through our grief, where we put our own stuff aside and just continue to bless and serve. Now, it's dangerous if that's the way you live full time. That's going to mess you up. Even Jesus didn't do that. There are times, though, where he'll give you the grace to put some big stuff that you're going through to the side, and he'll, and he'll call you to have compassion and to love people. And so Jesus uh, ministers and uh, brings healing and then like does a miracle with the food and all sorts of stuff. But he's still, the priority for Jesus is to go and to pray and to be with his heavenly Father. Again, what a legend, right? I mean, it's Jesus, but you know, it's like, 
Where do I want to go under the pump or when I'm grieving or when I'm hurting or where I'm going through loss? Well, Burger King and a beard normally is kind of like the, the normal go-tos. And it's like, and you know what's fascinating for me over the last couple of years, again, this is the, the beauty of, of pressure, is that God's been doing something in me so that slowly my natural inclination is actually to go to the Father. It's like, you just like, oh no, all that stuff isn't the refuge I think it's going to be. But I know a place where I can find refuge in the presence of God. I can find healing there and I can find hope there and I can be restored and I can just sit with my heavenly Father who loves me. And so Jesus uh, is planning to do that. And so in verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, uh, the disciples were fishermen and, uh, and most likely could read the weather. And because the storm's about to hit, and it's like, probably the disciples are like, hey, geez, you, like, cool, like, we, we'll, we'll, we can walk around, like, you know, looking at the clouds and the wind starting to build and all that sort of stuff. These guys knew the weather. And, Jesus, and interestingly, you know that word made in the Greek is this word, anagazao? Sounds like a Japanese word, it's pretty cool. Um, and it's forceful. Like, Jesus, Jesus made them. No, you're going on the boat. It's like, and the disciples are like, oh, bro, all right. Like, it could get messy, but get in the boat. All right, I'm in the boat, get in the boat. Dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up the mountainside to, to pray, which again is him just, just processing that grief, working through that. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Interesting, you know, Jesus sometimes deliberately sends us into storms. How's that? And it, because it's often in the storms of life that we discover him in a new way. We go deeper. We grow in our dependence on God. And we discover his faithfulness. We discover that refuge I was talking about. That underneath, his ever, he's, we're like, we can sit in his everlasting arms. He loves us. And so then they're going through the thing and, and the storm. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. So what does Jesus say to them in the storm? Like, friends, we're all in that, to fearing degrees. Anyone that's looked at social media or the news in the last 24 hours, you are carrying some angst right now, right? We've just been in this flipping thing for nearly two years. It's like, oh, <laughs> Right? So what does he say? He says a couple of things. He says, well, the beginning and the end, take courage and don't be afraid are pretty similar, right? It's like the it's like the meat pat it's like the, the bread bun between the meat patty, like, you know, the good burger king number three, the double bacon, double cheeseburger is pretty awesome. It's don't courage, but in the middle there is the it is I. That's why you can take courage. And not be afraid is because God is with us. It's like Jesus, is like, no, this is me. I'm here in the midst of all of the stuff that's going on. In the middle of the story, we can be at peace because he's with us. And so then Peter, who's constantly like <laughs> opening up his mouth to put the other foot in, uh, is just like, and, and most likely I reckon he's like, he just says the stuff and then he says it then thinks, right? That's kind of Peter's vibe. Some of you guys are like that. You understand, you appreciate Peter a lot. So he's like, he just said, like, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. You know, and all the disciples will be like, bro, he said it. Like, <laughs> and then Jesus is like, all right, come. 
And then like, oh, okay. Like, what are you doing? So Peter gets down out of the boat, walks on the water and comes towards Jesus. And then he starts looking at all the circumstances of the wind and he was afraid and begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. Now, a couple of things here. This isn't... This is Peter, like the living legend. Like, this is actually epic. This isn't a failure on Peter's part in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he walked on water. Like, that's insane. And then, like, naturally, he starts realizing, you know, spinning out. But what does he do? He doesn't run back towards the boat or start swimming or anything. He just, he, again, intuitively in that moment, like Terry, like, Lord, save me. Like there's something that's happened in Peter's heart where that's where he just goes. Like in the midst of all this crap, save me, save me. And he reaches out his, ha- his hand and Jesus catches, like he, he, he caught him by his hand. And then it's like they're still away from the boat. So then like they still walk back to the boat. That's not on the text, but clearly they did. I mean, how, again, how beautiful is this where this radical obedience leads to radical intimacy? Where you go from, Lord, what did you say? Tell me to do it. I'll do it. All right, we're doing it. And then, we, and then it just always leads to Peter walking with his hand, hand in hand with Jesus across the water. I mean, how sick is that? None of the disciples, none of the disciples got to do that. Like, can you imagine, like, years later, you know, how much, I'll be bragging about this for my whole life. Like, every, like, we had Andy's birthday, 40th birthday last night. It's like, you know, I'd love it if John Doe would be like, Hey, Sam, tell her the story again about the time you walked on the water. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to tell her. I've told her so many. All right, everyone, gather around. Uh, so we're going to, um, so yeah, it was stormy and, you know, and the boys were too chicken and they wouldn't do it. But, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I'll come. And, you know, what well, was a little spongy underneath and felt like, you know, like it was real weird. I don't, no, no one else knows what it feels like apart from Jesus. He's already ascended. So <laughs> I guess I'm the only one on the world that knows what it feels like. Oh, come on, that's not bad. And, and then, like, you know, got a little tricky there, a little hazier there for a little bit. But I just remember walking back holding hands with Jesus and uh, yeah it was a lovely amazing moment of faith for me and uh, yeah this is pretty pretty sweet and then like Jesus says this word to him um, you have little faith why do you doubt now most likely if you're anything like me you've given a little bit of an angry tone to that why do we always give God an angry tone why is that our default I don't think it's there in the Greek as I look at it um it's interesting, I was reading this thing by this guy, Peter Weiner. What's <laughs> his last name? W-H-E-N-E-R, Peter Weiner. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway, he said, he's actually just a really brilliant Bible teacher. Uh, he said, the most common emotion described, ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels is sympathy and compassion. That's his most common, the most common emotion ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels is sympathy and compassion. Jesus had anger, yes, towards sin, but it was actually a particular kind of sin. The sin that seemed to evoke Jesus' anger was the sin committed by those who possessed hard hearts. He just got frustrated. He got frustrated at those who lacked mercy, those who were spiritually arrogant or judgmental, or those who were hypocritical or selfishly ambitious. Like, that's where Jesus got frustrated, Jesus didn't get cross when people had faith and got a little wobbly. And so I reckon the tone is more like, you silly sausage, why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you trust me, Peter? You know, I think that was more what's going on in this text. And so this is where uh, 
the reason I bring up the story is that we're talking about what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to fill us? Yes. But more importantly, what does it look like to, for us to walk with the Holy Spirit every day so that we're used by the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit flows through us into our world? And guess what? It turns out that everyone gets to play if you want to. It's not just for super Christians. It's for, here's the thing. The only requirement for us to be used by the Holy Spirit more is obedience. We see it in this text. Like, you want to walk in the miraculous and stuff, it actually, it's obedience that leads us to this place of, of fresh power, but also fresh intimacy with Jesus. It's like radical obedience. That's, you know, like there's this, the whole thing of love languages. You know, um, there's the whole, you know, there's lots of, I mean, Valentine's Day was, was it last Monday? Yes, last Monday. So, you know, no dramas if you forgot, sorry uh, for making that awkward in your marriage or for your partner or whatever. But, um, but there's that kind of whole thing of love languages, which is beautiful, you know, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts. And like, as you go through life, you start to work out what, you know, your partner's love languages, which is normally different from yours, which is a bit tricky because you're just used to like expressing love the way that you feel love. But then it's like you slowly kind of work out what the other person's love language is and you get better at communicating love so it's actually heard, blah, 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 right? So, you know, Jen's for the record is probably all of them depressingly and, uh, and so that's challenging. Um, but uh, and like Andy Wordsworth, who I've known for, for decades, is like, his is words of affirmation. I just know that for Andy. It's like you give him a gushy card like we gave him yesterday and he, his tank is getting filled up, right? You know, God has a love language. God has a love language. And it's very clear in John 14 and John 15. His love language is obedience. He's like, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, if you're my friends, you'll do what I command you to do. And again, this isn't, like, this isn't about legalism or earning love or our salvation or anything. This is about flowing with him. This is about pleasing him. Because in the same way that Jesus obeyed his father, he invites us to obey him. Like Jesus, John 5, 19 says, I only do what I see my father doing. And so he just walks around. It's like, Father, what are you doing that I can bless what you're doing? And that's like what it looks like to live the Christian life. It's like, Lord, what are you doing right now? So even if my toes have got run over, I'm asking the question, what are you doing right now, God? He's like, oh, I want my kingdom to break in. I want Donna to know the radical forgiveness that happens when Jesus' followers start living out of the Christian faith. I want Donna to be blessed with peace in a crazy situation and for, the, the, again, the counterintuitive kingdom, upside-down kingdom of God to bring in breaking in all over the world. We get to partner with that. We get to see stuff happen. It's, but where does it come from? It comes from obedience. The most anointed people in a certain area, whether that's evangelists or prophetic people or intercessory prayer or deliverance or caring for the poor or whatever, the most anointed people are those who are the most obedient. People that have just been obedient. And again, harkening back to the start of my talk, not just obedient when the world's perfect. Actually, it's under pressure and in storms and in grief and all the rest of it. That's where God loves working through us to be a blessing, whether it's to crowds or to disciples or whatever it may be. He loves doing stuff when life is tricky. Like actually, I think that's especially when he loves working. As I've said many times, man, my, my theme verse for this term is like, his power is made perfect in weakness. And I'm like, God, I don't have much in the tank right now, so I'm going to be a weak pastor. 
and I'm tired of me trying to do my ministry. It's time I want, I want to see your ministry. I want to see your ministry. I want to see what you can do when we gather. I want to see what you can do in our home churches. I want to see what you can do when a radical man like Terry starts going, going there. You know? And we see this like in, John, uh, in, um, in Luke um, 2, is it? John chapter 2, sorry, when on Jesus' first miracle, it's kicked off because Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Like, do whatever he tells you to do. That's, uh, that's where the power lies. And so um, what I'd like to do is, is, before I finish, is play a five-minute clip um, from a, a teaching by a guy called John Wimber. John Wimber founded the uh, Vineyard Movement, of which we are a part. This will give you a bit of an insight to the DNA of our church. Uh, but also, this is a clip from the 1980s, so we're about to jump in a DeLorean and really get a, a heads blown by a guy that looks like he should be at the bowling alley, as well as a few awesome moustaches and glasses and stuff. Um, but here's the backstory to this clip. John uh, had just exhausted himself doing all sorts of ministry. He gets to a place of brokenness, and as I said earlier, um, he, he heard God wake him up whether it was audible or not, it woke him up in the middle of the night and God said to him, I've seen your ministry, now let me show, let me show you mine. And that just, uh, he, was, he was so broken. Like I can't, I don't have time to, he was broken. And, just, and so then he just begins to walk in radical obedience. And he feels God call him and his church to start um, to teach and to pray for healing. Now he doesn't believe in healing. <laughs> But he's like, all right, I'm just going to be radically obedient from now on. Just tell me what to do, I'll do it. So he starts going through the text, uh, through the Gospels, and just actually talking about when Jesus heals and what that means for us today. After about four weeks of him teaching, the church get a bit frustrated about all the teaching and say, when are you going to let us pray for each other so we can pray? For we want to try it. And he's like, oh, crap, I'm starting to believe it. This is bad. The guys are believing it before I do. And like, So then he starts, all right, so they start praying for each other. And the first Sunday, like, we're going to pray for healing. They, people come up, they pray for healing, and nothing happens. And in fact, the people praying for the sick people got sick. They got the cold and the flus and the rest of it. It was a nightmare. And so he's like, okay. He goes on, Sunday after Sunday, they didn't just speak to healing, but they prayed every single Sunday for healing, and nothing happens. And he, he just, uh, it's just humiliation. But he just, and every Sunday he's like, oh, this Stuff this, I'm not doing this anymore. And he feels like God very clearly say, I want you to keep doing this. And then he keeps saying, I'm not seeing anything. And he felt like God say, don't preach your experience, preach my word. And he's like, okay. So he just keeps going there and keeps going there. Um, and and the, I mean, this is radical obedience. Now, just to clarify, this is not one person discerning God's voice here with John Wimber. There's a whole community of leaders in his church going, yes, this is what God is saying to us. Because I've seen too many people double down on big decisions, and I've actually just discerned God's voice on their own. That's dangerous. The bigger the decision, the more community you've got to have around you to discern the big decision, right? Small things, fine. And as you get more confident hearing his voice, sure, then you can step out. And by this stage, these guys were hardcore. Um, because, I, because again, just a little tangent, but the enemy is the distorter and the deceiver. So I know that some people think they've heard God's voice, but they've heard just a, like it's close enough, but it's not actually the real deal. So discernment amongst the community of saints and it lining up with 
the Word of God is key on big decisions. So can you please, if you're going through a big decision, every time someone comes to me and I want to discern, I'm like, you legend, that's wise, that's good. On the bigger, When we moved here, we did a three-month process of discernment with, with leading national leaders and all sorts to help us discern what was going on. The first conversation I had with the guy, he said, I've seen a lot of people make dumb decisions in their 30s. Let's, dis- let's discern whether God's in this or not. And by the end of it, clearly yes and amen. And we've seen the favour of God as we've moved up and all the rest of it. Anyway, Sunday, can you imagine that frustration? Sunday after Sunday, pray for healing, nothing happens. Just let's have a look at the clip. And this, it, it jumps in partway through. Suffice it to say that in the early development of the healing ministry here, it was very difficult. We went for nearly a year before we saw the first person healed. The occasion of the first person being healed occurred immediately the night after one of our greatest defeats. Having prayed for somebody for nearly two hours that did not get well, I was in utter despair. I threw myself headlong on the floor. I've never been subject to those emotional displays. I threw myself on the floor and just sobbed, and I hit the floor, and I said, Oh, God, it's not fair. You tell us to teach what your book says, and you don't back up your act. Here we are, we're doing the best we can do. It's not fair, God. It's not fair. You tell us to believe it, you you write it down, you keep it for all of these centuries. I read it, I tell the people that this is what you said. I even say that this is what you said you'd do with what you said. And now you're not doing what you said you'd do if I did my part. It's not fair. You know that one? (laughs) You do know that one, don't you? Oh, I was brokenhearted, cried, cried. After a little while, I became sort of conscious, and I looked around, and all my friends were laying there with me. We'd all just been broken up over this experience. One of my best friends named Jim, he's a big old guy, and he was super humiliated. We were up on a stage. It was in a, in a high school auditorium at that time. We were up on a stage behind this curtain. And when he left, old Jim walks out, you know, and he steps out through the, the curtain and looks back and says, I'm never going behind that damn curtain again. <laughs> and he's upset. He gets home. <laughs> he get, <laughs> this is funny. He gets home, and God gives him a verse. You know how a verse will pop into your mind? And so he goes in and opens up the Bible and looks, and it says, The Lord dwelleth behind the curtain. <laughs> Jim is so repentant, he goes out into his backyard and, and sets down in a chicken coop and throws dirt on his head. <laughs> God bless him, that man knows how to repent. Well, our worst defeat that night, I go home, I go to bed, I wake up the next morning, the phone's ringing, I go to the phone, and here's a new family in the church, and the guy's on the phone, he says, listen, I got a new job, I, 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 I've got to go to work today, I, this is my, I've got a brand new job, it's just starting today, my wife's sick with a fever, can you come over and pray for her so she'll get well so she can take care of the kids, so I can go for my new job, I think, I, I put my hand up, you've really got me into it this time. <laughs> Look what, this guy believes this stuff, he's going to lose his job. I'll be right there in my best professional tone. Hang up. I get in the car, and all the way over there, I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm saying, this, this, it's still not right, you know. This is not right. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's not right. It's a mess. 
So I get there, and I knock at the door, and a guy comes to the door, leads me in the house, and I mean, he, I thought she would be out in the living room in her house. He takes me right straight back into their bedroom. I mean, this woman was sick. No woman would let you see her looking like that. <laughs> I mean, this woman was sick. You know, sick. Sick, sick. I mean, she was sick. And I looked at her, and I thought, oh, she's sick. <laughs> Not good. Not good, you know. This is not good. This is not going to make me look good. This woman is sick, you know. She had a high fever. Face was all flushed, you know. And I walked over, and I mumbled some terrible, I don't mean what, I don't know what I said. I, and, I, and I turned around, and I began explaining to the guy why people don't always get well when you pray for them. I did. I, I began explaining to him why they don't always get well when you pray for them. And... And he's looking at me, but he's a little bit taller than I am, and he's looking over my shoulder, and he's grinning. And I suddenly realize he's not looking at me. He's looking over my shoulder. And I turn around, and there's his wife. She's up. She's got her house coat on. She's already brushed her hair, and she's making the bed. And I said, what happened to you? <laughs> and, she, and she says, I'm well. You healed me. I said, oh, no, I can't heal anybody. <laughs> And she said, well, you healed me. I'm feeling fine. You know, would you like to stay for some coffee or something, you know? I said, no, I think I'll just go. <laughs> and so there I went out the door. And I get out the front lawn, I look up, and I go, all right! You know, we got one! Woo! And so begins a healing ministry in the vineyard that swept the world. It swept the world. It was, it was the beginning of the charismatic renewal, and there was a move of God with signs and wonders that accompanied it that went round the world. Now, I know that's stretching many of you in terms of your thinking, and most of us are like, I've got no stories like that. So let's just dial it down to, to a level. Jesus says, if you're faithful with little, I'll entrust you with much. And here's my challenge to us as we navigate as a church, uh, as we continue, certainly in this series, but for the, you know, Lord, we want to, we want to yield ourselves to you. And we want your Holy Spirit to fill us. Lord, help me to be obedient. And the little things. And that, I mean, Terry's story is insane if you stop and think about it. I don't know if I'll do that. To pray for someone that just ran over your foot after forgiving them is bold. That's cool. I pray that becomes normal. That, that we learn to be naturally supernatural. Walking in the power of God and the things of the Spirit. And, uh, and I, like, I'm just inspired by that story, but, like, there is a big price that got paid for John and the crew. <laughs> like, they were, they, were bro- they were broken a number of times, but they just stayed obedient to what Jesus called them to do. And sometimes Jesus calls us to step out of the boat into a situation that makes no sense. Walk on water. It's insane. And yet Jesus is like, hey, no, come on, man. Let's go. Let's have, let's have fun together. And, and that obedience leads to fresh intimacy with him. Let me finish with this, and then I just want to invite the Spirit of God to come. Uh, N.T. Wright, in his commentary on that passage, says, There are many times when Jesus asks us to do what seems impossible. How can we even begin to do the task he's called us to? How can we even think of doing without that sin which we've been asked to give up? How can we really suppose we might be able to develop a serious habit of prayer when we're so frantic and disorganized? Of course, if like Peter, we look at the waves being lashed by the wind, we will conclude that it is indeed impossible. 
And what we are called to do, it's so basic and obvious, but so hard to do in practice, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and our ears open for his encouragement, even if it does contain some rebuke as well. And our wills and hearts must be ready to do what he says, even if it seems crazy at the time. Terry, we honour you because you've been seeking after the Lord for this stuff for a long time and you walked in obedience in that moment and you're praying that dangerous prayer. And I pray that we would be people that pray the danger. There's a lot of prayers we're adding to your devos. One, come Holy Spirit. It's not about just the meeting. I love the meeting. I pray that the presence of God is so thick here, people walk in and go, there is a God. God is amongst that crew. Absolutely. But I want tomorrow morning for you to wake up, come Holy Spirit and to be filled. And just sense the life, sense the joy, sense the power of God just in flooding your being. And to pray the dangerous prayer that Terry's been praying, Lord, just use me today in some way, shape or form. One of our boys, Josiah, was praying that last year and he uh, prayed as a plumber. He prayed for one of his clients at the end of the day after spending all day sweating bricks, uh, trying to get the courage to do it. And, and it's like, Lord, just use us, ordinary, weak, broken, normal people who are filled with doubt sometimes and filled with junk in our trunk. And all. Fill us with your power so we can be used by you. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. He wants to use you. He loves it when ordinary people are up for being obedient. It's his love language. And so why don't you remain seated? And um, I want to invite the Holy Spirit just to come. We, uh, we'll just, we may worship as we finish, but um, I, just, um, I, don't, I want us to be a church that is just open to the Holy Spirit without the keyboard. <laughs> We'll, we'll probably get the guys up and we'll finish. But it's like, because it's not about an emotional thing. It's sovereign. He comes down. We don't hype him up. We don't have to get the right atmosphere. Like he just turns up in the most, when you're filled with grief, when you've got to give to crowds, when you've got nothing else to give because you're grieving. And he, he, he turns up in the storm. He just turns up anywhere. So let's just open our hearts and just see what God wants to do. And let's get a little bit used to waiting on the Lord. And so, Father... In the name of Jesus, whom we love, would you send your Holy Spirit afresh upon us this morning?